0: Welcome to Eye to Eye, a new podcast brought to you by the people behind INCONST, Malmö's premier multi-arts venue, and Intonal Festival, the annual event for adventurous minds produced by INCONST. In each episode, we bring you conversations with some of the artists we present, offering insight into creative practice and the international community of people who love music. I'm your host, Lisa Blanning. Today, we're talking with Johanna Knutson. Swedish musician Johanna Knutsen is beloved for her techno productions, DJ sets, and labels, including UFO station recordings, run with longtime production partner Hans Berg, and Zodiac 44, operated with Luca Lozano. But the magic ambient sound of her debut album, Tolarp Transmissions, released by Contra Music in 2019, revealed her fluency with another side of electronic music. So, Johanna, first off, I want to thank you for joining us for the inaugural edition of Eye to Eye. That's intonal to inconst or inconst to intonal, depending on how you look at it. And uh, obviously, you are a perfect choice for this podcast because not only do you make music that is very much relevant to both intonal and inconst, but you're also, um, you're basically a Malmö sweetheart. Oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> Thank you for You grew up
0: not far from there? Is
1: that correct? Right. I grew up an hour outside in the countryside. And you lived there as well? I moved uh, to Malmö and I got my first job in Malmö when I was 19. Oh,
0: really? Okay. okay. Yeah. What was it?
1: Uh, a hairdresser.
0: Oh, okay. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so do you think that Malmo was a place where you actually first discovered a love of music or
1: what, what was the musical journey for you? Uh, before I moved to Malmo, I was, uh, just doing classical music. I played in church on the countryside and I sang in the church choir. Ooh. and I just listened to classical music at home, uh, I mean, I was into music, but I didn't have like a refined taste. I just, for me, it was just always classical music before, or because I didn't like what was played on the radio, in the commercial radio. And then once, when I started high school, I I found I was very lost and like listened to a bunch of different stuff like punk and hardcore. And then I think when I came to Malmö, that was when electronic music was becoming an interest. So, but this, you moved to
0: Malmö when you were like 16, is that correct? Uh, I think eighteen. Yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah. Okay. So that's, I mean, you weren't even an adult, but you full, had fully formed tastes before then, anyway. And at around eighteen, I'm sure that the world must have expanded quite a lot, especially
1: artistically. One hundred percent. That's when I started dyeing my hair and getting my tattoos and piercings, as well.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, you've talked you've talked in the past about the process of finding your own sound. What were some of the key steps along the way that you think were decisive moments
1: in order to do that? Do you mean in the current uh, age or up until now? Cuz I'm still learning, I
0: think. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I what, yeah, I meant I meant more in terms of uh, the releases that you've put out most recently, which I think are this includes your album on Contra Music, which is more of an ambient record, right. and also your recent split ep with karen guire for oscillate like this is very strong material and i guess these are your most recent releases as well correct
1: yeah i think um i wasn't lost per se but i think once you get a positive feedback of something that was a positive experience for me to make i think that was when it clicked and that has been the recent um releases that i've noticed that you know it's I don't question if people like it I know that people like it Mm -hmm. and it was I also liked making it so I think just having that confirmation that what you're doing is you know you're on the right track if that makes sense or on the right path I think especially with the album because that was such a I mean it was the only thing I could do at the time and uh, I didn't expect anyone to ever hear it or I didn't make it as a purpose of releasing it. I just made music that I wanted to make. And then it all worked out. I feel,
0: I, I'm curious more, I mean, this this does make sense to me, but um, what would what would have kept you going in the early days? Because I'm assuming in the early days, you probably didn't even have that kind of positive feedback. I mean, I think that you've been making music at this point for quite a while, more than a decade, isn't it?
1: yeah oh uh i haven't made uh, as intense like now i do it as a full-time job i'd say but the uh, uh, i think up until the recent years it was much more complicated i was i think i was looking for i was trying to make something that i yeah it's hard to describe i feel like i didn't know what i was doing i was trying to please a dance floor or trying to please you know being too much in my head like what, what are people going to think about this? Is this going to work at panorama floor? Or mm-hmm. just having too, too many doubts about what other people would think. Maybe that's also an age thing, just growing older and realizing that it doesn't matter. I think that this is
0: actually very telling. Um, what I am deducing from what you're saying is that you didn't really start to feel good about it until you stopped worrying about what other people were going to think. And you um, started making music for yourself. Right. Although, as you say, uh, the positive feedback from other people did let you know that you were on the right track, so to speak.
1: Absolutely. One of my first releases, I was on a label. Uh, I really enjoyed what they were doing. So when they asked me to do something, I did something for that label. But Mm -hmm. I didn't, I mean, I, I... I can't listen to it even myself anymore because it, it, I can't even remember that I did that because I, I was so much in my head, like what fits for this label. And now I've learned that when people ask me for music, it's because they want what I make, mm-hmm. not that I should make something that sounds like their music that they put out. And I know the last time I had, that was recent, like two years ago, I, had, I there was a guy reaching out from a label And he wanted me to make an EP. And then I did, um, and everything I sent, he was like, oh yeah, no, a little bit more housey or a little bit more like this. Like very, he gave me too much feedback basically. Mm -hmm. And then in the end, after I think working on these tracks for like three or four months, I just, I hated them. I couldn't do, I was so lost of what I wanted to do myself. And even if it was, it would be good to have a release on that label. I pulled it. I didn't do it because it made me feel terrible.
0: Uh, I feel like this is actually really good advice for any young musician out there. I do also think it's interesting that you at this point, it seems as though you can move pretty fluidly between ambient and techno yeah what what do you think is the difference to you in the process of making ambient music versus techno? and what I mean by that is like what kinds of things are you are you looking for or are you trying to achieve? Um,
1: during each of those processes? Um, oh, I haven't thought about that before. I think it all comes down to... I think that I'm making the... I, it, there's not like a switch that I can turn on and off. I think it has to do with what mood I'm in for that day. Because when I sit down, I, I, no, no matter how I start with all tracks, they sort of start the same. It's all. It's, it's a very like naked process I do, or a very rough process. I just do... Ex- it's like communicating feelings. Or um, if I'm not in a happy mood, there's no way I'm going to make a happy track. I don't think I can make a happy track, actually. Even if I tried, <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's a, there is a way actually. There, I, I've noticed the in the last days when I've worked on I'm working on something now, and I had all of these ideas that, and then when I tried to execute them, it it didn't feel right, and then. And, you know, I I tried so many times, even the neighbors complained, actually, because they're probably tired of hearing the same track over and over. (laughs) Um, And then as soon as I, when I did, I tweaked and I changed and I added and removed. And then when I listened to it again, like on the morning, the day after I did all of these things, then it felt right. It's like a puzzle Mm -hmm. in my brain. Mm -hmm. And like the missing piece was there. I can't, it's like solving a puzzle or solving a crossword or something, and i have to trust that instinct that gut feeling that this was right and then i sent it uh, to the label and it was it was right i think i just have to i can't like skip that feeling if i don't feel that like confirming feeling myself then then i'm not ready with the track yet
0: well that sounds quite related to your previous answer and that a lot of this is about trusting yourself then
1: yeah and then yeah there's been other sometimes when i can't get the life setup to work or <laughs> like if some a synth or hardware isn't working then it's like I, I i think so much and i get exhausted and i try to solve it and i like have to go and take a nap <laughs> and then i wake mm-hmm. up and it's like i i can figure it out how to do it uh this is a very hippie answer i realize but this is how i work
0: No, I don't think that's hippie at all. I actually think that there's quite a lot of evidence for um, creative processes uh, requiring quite a lot of space um, in one's mind. And what that often translates to is um, that you have to allow yourself uninterrupted time where you're not even necessarily focusing on one thing or trying to, um, to do something specific, but more that um that space is is sort of necessary to achieve the lateral thinking
1: totally i guess yeah totally i've had uh, dinners like you know when you go before a gig or something and then you have dinners with the other dj's or performers mm-hmm. and it's very interesting because not everyone i always i think i always thought that i didn't do it right because a lot of conversations i've had um you know it's like they all know how to make music and i don't like they're they're more functional like they will go to the studio for two hours make a track and then go home and it, for me it takes like days and or weeks mm-hmm. uh, because I really had to get into that mind set and now after so many years I am more functional I like I don't have to spend hours and hours of trying to figure out what doesn't work in the software or in the program I can solve my problems easier but it doesn't go that much quicker right yeah,
0: I mean, I, I, yeah, I do think that it's the process is going to differ for everybody, but um, but it's interesting that some things uh, do tend to crop up a lot for a lot of people. But um, back to the ideas of genre, meaning ambient versus techno, which I would say are the, the pillars of of your work. Yeah, what are the key elements of each of these that keep you invested? What is it about each of these things that um, that really just brings you back? again and again as an artist or even as a listener
1: for me it's been the most interesting uh, it's a very vast uh, there's so much to find and there's very few like do's and don'ts I think Mm -hmm. in these two genres Uh, this is also something I didn't figure out until quite late but I feel like the, the it's not so narrow you can you can experiment quite a lot and that you can Or even I watched some video on YouTube of someone uh, playing live and she was using like a little golf ball on a toothpick, uh, using that as a kick drum, like sending it through something. You can be so creative and so free. It's not like, for example, with classical music, there's so many rules and you can't do, you can't like go outside the line because that's wrong. But I feel like Mm -hmm. you find the more interesting stuff outside the lines. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I think that's why I, I don't get tired of it.
0: I, I understand um, why that why you would say that with um, ambient music. I, I I feel as though uh, techno is is a little bit more constrained, though. Is it seems as, to me I would say that techno is um, largely constrained to the dance floor and to a, a kind of a, and to the
1: beat to the beat. So the, so there are sort of rules in that regard. I I feel I I, th- I see those more like uh, building blocks, and then. It's good to have some structure. I feel like that, that can be like the the backbone. And then as, mm-hmm. as long as you have the beat or the percussions, you can sort of do whatever you want on top. And that's what I think is cool. Ah, so that sounds
0: like creativity within constraints. Yeah. Which is, which is also another useful tool for, for creativity. Right. Is, uh, is giving yourself some constraints and some boundaries to work within. And sometimes that can actually be um, a lot more productive than uh, the, the sort of terrifying blankness of too many possibilities. Definitely. Which I feel as though uh, is a problem that faces quite a lot of people in electronic music these days because it, it seems as though software is really capable of anything.
1: Mm. Yeah, true. I don't get too many plugins or softs. I, I keep a narrow or like a small setup and then I sort of use that uh, a couple of machines until I'm tired of them and then I get another one instead of having everything and because then you're also forced to work like really pump out what you can with one piece of either software or hardware and then when you can't squeeze more out then you can get another one instead of you know listening to a thousand different sounds or trying to find something and then you completely lost your initial then you don't know what's good or bad anymore you can't tell (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I can exclusively
0: reveal now that you're actually going to be performing live at Intonal Festival this year in 2021, which um, we're all excited about. Yeah, Um, me too. (laughs) And that you will be performing an ambient set.
1: I can reveal even more that I, as of two days ago, um, decided to make a brand new one. So there's going to be only uh, unheard material. Fantastic. Yes.
0: Okay. (laughs) That's practically world premiere right then, what we're talking about now.
1: Yes. The last time I performed live uh, solo was in Malmö as well. And that was, I think, a year and a half ago. And so much has happened since then. I don't want to come back with even, I mean, it's going to be, of course, it's still me. It's going to be similar, but I don't want to have any of the uh, materials from that time. So I I'm very excited and I feel like I tapped into something. So it's been it's only been 2 days but I've come I've come quite far already.
0: Okay, wow. That's mm. actually that's really cool. That's exciting.
1: I'm super inspired.
0: And I would also say that for myself personally and for quite a few uh friends who I've talked to about such things, it really feels like during pandemic times that ambient music has has really been um something that we've turned to for comfort.
1: Yes, I think so. I've never had this much, uh, like I've had a much more steady release schedule than I've had any other year, but no gigs, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a little bit of a shame because if this was in real life, then this would have looked good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, but going back to your discography,
0: um, I thought that one thing that was really striking um, was you clearly have got Um, a really long and involved collaboration with Hans Berg so what do you think makes that relationship so successful I might be pronouncing his name incorrectly because it's pronounced differently in Swedish isn't it
1: no you said it right Hans Berg okay um well we didn't really know each other we met uh i think 2011 we met Mm -hmm. in an open air in berlin and we had some common friends yeah we hung out at that open air i think tobias was playing actually my boyfriend and then Mm -hmm. yeah we just became really good friends immediately and i think both tobias and also his uh, partner at the time they were like uh what's happening (laughs) like we just sort of talked the whole the whole day (laughs) And then uh, the four of us started hanging out, but me and uh, Hans was definitely, we just got super close, super easy. And then they moved to Sweden, I think six months later. So we had met at this open air, maybe a couple of dinners and, you know, some club nights here and there. It was a very new friendship. Mm -hmm. And then they moved to the very north of Sweden. uh, And then they, they invited me to come up and visit for 10 days. And I think... That was the first time we sat in the studio together and we made 12 tracks. Wow. It was so easy. I think that's actually the kickstart of me trusting my own uh, feeling because he was very supportive. I mean, I love everything that he's done, all the music he's done. uh, And I think that he felt the same for my stuff. So when we were in the studio, it's a lot of like high fives and (laughs) uh, it's just fun (laughs) all the time. It's so easy if that makes sense. Yeah. He's, he's good at making other people excited as well. And it's so pure. There's not a bad bone in him. That sounds like a really great person
0: to, to collaborate with. Yeah. What, so that sounds like maybe something that Hans brings to a collaboration. Uh, I was going to ask, what do you think you
1: each brought to it that makes it work so well? Uh, well, I, we have talked about this, the two of us as well, because we've had collaborations with other people and it's never been neither before or after we've had the same experience. He moved back to Berlin after that year, but then he's moved to Sweden again. But the, the most focused collaboration time we had in running the label was when he lived here for the past four years. Mm-hmm. Um, so then now when he's moved back to Sweden since a year and a half ago, we haven't done anything together. And it's very sad. But then we talked about this, what we uh, what we bring to the studio. And he is super... He studied music. He uh, He's such a like machine nerd he's very like interested in what's happening to the sound Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. he's he's very into modular now and um, yeah so I think he he has like all the ways of creating a sound and I would have the not only but I would have like ideas but didn't know how to reach them but the way we could communicate I could just say I, I could like say whatever I whatever thought popped up in my head and he would you know find that sound even if i used words that doesn't have anything to do with music <laughs> but just describing a feeling or like a what i what i thought this sound would feel like and then he would yeah we we could collaborate well in that sense like i could put words on um ideas and he would execute them
0: Wow, that's really cool. That means that you were communicating on a on a, another a lov- another level. Actually, I think
1: yes, and I think our humor is uh, same. And we're, I mean, I've never had a boring time with him ever. And we've done, <laughs> I mean, we've we've done so many weird things together, and it's never been. We've never had a fight. We've never. I've never disagreed. I don't know. It's it's. I miss him so much. I realize now. <laughs>
0: Ah, well, I wonder if there could be scope for a future Johanna Hans live
1: collab, but maybe we shouldn't speak about such things that are just ideas. <laughs> that was the plan, actually. But then when I made my album that year, mm-hmm. uh, he was the one that I sent all the tracks to. And he was he was like, oh, what? I didn't know you could do this. Because it was obviously very different to what we had done in the studio. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Uh, so he was actually the first one I who heard any, everything, and he. And then we decided that once the album is out, we're. Uh, I was going to go up to Sweden and we would do a collaboration like like we did in the house once with the live set, and then Corona came. <laughs> we haven't gone that far yet. <laughs> yeah,
0: I and you still you
1: talked about how in the past
0: you've worked as a hairstylist. Something tells me that you're very good at it. I wondered if you saw any relation to, um, different kinds of creative activities. Cause I actually, I actually personally do think of, of uh, being a hairstylist as, as a creative activity, even though you're, um, probably most often giving people something that they might ask for specifically. But I just wondered if you, if you felt that, they, that you felt something similar in that as in making music.
1: That is such a good question uh, I definitely do because the the most of the times when I give people haircuts they can yes they do ask for something or they want something but the whole process of I never just do what they ask me to until uh, unless it's very specific but with the clients I have uh, I feel like the communication is really good and mm-hmm. we always find a way to make it not like. You know, because there's only so many ways, different ways you can cut someone's hair. Like, Mm -hmm. but then you have to like think outside that box and be really creative with the material or with the hair Mm -hmm. in this case. And that's when you get the really good uh, end results. And I think that is the same way as I make music. Like you can make music in a technical but functioning way, but maybe it doesn't last very long. And it's the same with haircuts. You You can cut just the ends or you can just do um like no sculpturing or anything but i i like to go in and sculpture the hair more and sort of technically break the haircut a little bit like and not like going outside the what's allowed and that's when it lasts longer and looks better i think
0: yeah no i would i i I, from what you're talking about yeah i think that i would agree with that sort of (laughs) assessment i mean for me for me personally i came to you as first as a dj because, um, I also live in Berlin. Surprise to anybody listening. And I wondered if you could tell people what it's like being a DJ in Berlin and how that it might be different than in other places. I'll, well, I'll tell you the, what I was thinking about. I personally, I feel as though, um, DJs in Berlin, uh, if you, if you come up as a DJ in Berlin, then you can pretty much DJ anywhere because you have to, you basically have to be able to do a marathon 4 hour set at the drop of a hat. I mean, you that that's the standard set length in Berlin is is for 4 hours basically. And and uh, that, and that's that requires a whole different kind of um stamina, endurance, um skill set, etc than um what, you know, most other places it would be 1 or 2 hours.
1: When I played in Sweden before moving to Berlin, it was always the warm up for my own club or playing the last like 40 minutes of my own club night. But that doesn't... What is that? You can only play like your 10 favorite songs and that's it. And there is no... Mm-hmm. You, you're not collaborating with the audience. You're you're performing for the audience. And I'm sure that's how you can do it here as well. But I feel like it's a give and take relationship in Berlin clubs. You can't just do what you want. You have to... Because the club is also expecting you to keep people on your dance floor for at least four hours. Mm-hmm. So you can't just download a few tracks and come and play and like dance in the DJ booths and think you're going to get away with it. There's so many critics here. And I think that's good because you you really have to be on your toes all the time.
0: Yeah. And you also have to be prepared to have your set time be 6am or
1: something like this. Exactly. I think the first time I realized that I was uh, a skilled DJ was when I ended up playing. This was when I played vinyl only and I ended up playing for I think I was supposed to finish at six, but they closed the other floor, so I kept on playing until eleven. Wow! And then I ran out of records. I didn't have more records with me, but I managed to keep the club open for four hours longer. That's
0: that, <laughs> but, that, right. That's pretty impressive. In addition to the set that you'd already played, there
1: was an additional four hours. So we're talking—we're pro- looking at probably like six to eight hours. Exactly. I was supposed to play between three and six, and then I ended up playing from three to eleven. And the only reason I stopped was because there was no more sides of any records to play. And I didn't have, I mean, that was quite a long time ago and I wasn't, I didn't even own a USB. So I couldn't continue on the CDJs. I mean, at this point, um, it's
0: been almost a year uh, that we've been in the Corona pandemic and clubs have been shut. Um, From a DJ's perspective, what do you miss about being
1: in the club? Mm, I think I miss it's like a f- more fun way to meditate I'd say because you don't it, you don't worry right. about you don't worry about tomorrow or what happened yesterday you really it's too loud to worry about anything uh, it's like um, it's a more giving way to relax your brain than for example I mean people watch movies when they come home from work or when they're tired but that doesn't give you an energy and I think that this this does the same you hear sounds and you see people or see things but it's like your brain is not taking everything in as much it's like a I don't know it's a different state of mind than it would be just sitting on your couch or something so it gives me a lot of energy to be in the club and that's what I miss now I now I go like to nature and I get the same I can get the same feeling but it takes much longer to get to that state like it takes a good long walk to get into that state as being two hours in a club
0: that is fascinating i've never thought about it like that and i i actually think you're right um it that it is sort of another kind of meditation in a way i i mean I, i've thought of extended dancing in that way but but the whole experience it it really can be viewed that way and uh, um that that's a, a super interesting way to put it and to be honest that actually makes me um realize better how related it is to how club music is related to ambient music that actually makes
1: more sense now oh yeah right oh right i never thought of it like that that it that could be the connection but it is that's yeah I never thought of it well, that it's,
0: way. Well, it's 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 interesting because you um, the the album that you released. Um, oh, gosh, sorry, pandemic is 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 making my time periods all fuzzy. Was yeah. it a year ago or two years ago that you released the um, Tolarp transmissions?
1: I think <laughs> I'm also not sure, uh, but I think it was 2000 and uh, no, it was 2018, end of 2018. Okay, so just over two years ago. Um, cuz you had
0: actually put out an an ambient release before that which was a tape. Yes. So it's not like that was your first ambient release or your first foray into ambient music.
1: It was no no, but it was the first ambient music that I had just made myself. The 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 tape is a mix of uh, other people's ambient music. That's oh, just a recorded DJ mix. Oh,
0: okay. Yeah.
1: Okay, right, right. Um and I've always been into ambient music before even knowing that it was ambient music, I think. Because um, I've played in the I've had different radio shows for different radio stations. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, so it's always been electronic music, but not just in a club-defined way. Uh, and the, those years when I was touring a lot, I, it was like I didn't have time. Like any time I listened to new records, it would have to be like for the next gig the next weekend. So it was almost like there was no downtime to actually just sit and listen to ambient music. Mm-hmm. Um, so it definitely came back um 2018. I made the album in 2018 and it was released beginning of 2019. I just remembered, sorry. Okay, okay. But then I didn't listen to any club tracks whatsoever in that year because I didn't take any gigs or anything. Right, because you were busy working on the record. Yeah, I had a stipend. So I had the fundings to do it that year. Wow. Wow. Mm.
0: Yeah this is this is interesting because uh, um now it's opening up an entire other realm of uh of opportunities I hope for you as well. Um I, I do think you're a great DJ but but uh, uh obviously clubs are shut and um it's it's the I I hope you'll be able to do that again one day but I'm glad that there is another outlet in the meantime.
1: Yeah, me too. I think I I would love to go back but I would do it differently this time I wouldn't do three gigs in a weekend or travel like a maniac for I mean the best gigs I've had are the ones in Berlin the long ones the short ones doesn't really (laughs) it's exhausting but it's not as fun it's not as relaxed as the long ones right right Mm -hmm.
0: and uh, I I also I also liked um your description of uh long sets as being communicating a communication with the audience like a yeah. two-way a two-way street
1: yeah no one likes a <laughs> no one likes a rude dj who just having a show of their own
0: yeah i in, I, I, I guess i you know quite often like i i, I think that that is what it is but uh, um, but you but you're right in that um most of the time especially when it's that long they they should be responding to the crowd. So, um, and ideally they are, but yeah, maybe in an hour, that's, that's less of a priority. Then this is, uh, given me something to think about and helps whet the appetite for your upcoming performance, um, in, in June. And, uh, I, I hope that for everybody listening that they've learned something interesting not just about Johanna although certainly you would have but um, but also about the process of making music and, and different ways that we experience music so thank you so much for joining me today thank you for all the good questions you can join us again for our next edition of Eye to Eye in a few weeks time I to I